You're listening to the Podcast Factory. Yes, greetings everyone. This is Kabaka Pyramid from Kingston, Jamaica. I, I'm actually in the uh, beginning of making a, a song that's called Stop Touching My Belly, I'm Lactose Intolerant. When I was, you know, when I was a baby, I was really into just uh, doing weird pictures and I wanted to be an artist when I was a kid. I just want to be able to continue on doing what we're doing and have Metal Church get out there to get to the level where the band deserves to be, where Kurt Vanderhoof deserves to be, and the music that he's written. That, that's what I would like. But all you had to do was be able to make some noise and express yourself, and it was complete freedom, and there were no rules and no expectations. There was simply self-expression. Reach to the stars. Uh, do the best you can. Put all your energy behind whatever you partake in life. Do the best. Do it 100%. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of What's Your Story? Today we have Trini Christensen with us. Um, she's an actress and uh, she's also known for her work on Gamer, Terminator Salvation, uh, Sunshine Cleaning and many more. And we'll talk about it during the interview because she's also doing some stunt work um now um of course um you actually grew up not that far from here um we're based in belgium and you grew up in 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 denmark that is right yes i did i lived in denmark until i was uh, 19 and uh, then i moved to the united states i've been here ever since now, of course, um, moving from a city, um, I think in Denmark, uh, from about 20,000 citizens uh, to Albuquerque, uh, which counts, of yeah. course, uh, a lot more citizens. Um, how was that change for you? Well, it was uh, it was certainly interesting because, I, like you said, the, the city I was born in uh, probably has about 20,000 people, but I had actually uh, spent more of my time at that point in an even smaller fishing village, and it had probably about 2,000 people, and uh, I came to Albuquerque the first time as an exchange student in high school when I was 16, and it was such a big culture shock, because unlike anything I'd ever seen before, very different. And what was the, the biggest difference between the two? Well, a, a whole lot of things. Um, it's very hot in Albuquerque, which I like. And I came from northwestern Newland, where the weather was a lot cooler. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, New Mexico is, is a large, mostly desert area, which is the opposite, of course, from uh, most of northwestern Europe. And uh, no ocean, but lots of mountains and rivers. It was just entirely different. The culture was different. Uh, there's a huge um, Hispanic population in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to see that because, you know, the, the culture and the food and all the things that come with that. And where I first grew up, where, where I was here as an exchange student, a lot of the street names were in Spanish. So I was excited to come out here and, and experience something that different. Now, uh- and the foods were very different. I just, I really liked it. Now, um, what, what do you think about the difference in, in pace of life? Because I can imagine that um, in Denmark, um, the, 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 let's say the 
pressure, the, the yeah, how do you say it? the the yeah, pace of life? You know, you, I think um, you enjoy life more in Denmark than you do in the States. No, and I mean, I that think for a lot of people, right? I I do think definitely that there are things in in the European countries that I wish we would have here, such as healthcare, for instance. Yeah. You know. That's not covered in the United States, and I certainly wish it was. There are a lot of things that, you know, that I think it would be very nice if they would implement. And obviously right now, um, with the president we have right now, that doesn't seem to be happening. So were all of you in Belgium laughing at us when you saw him elected? Yeah, of course. We're still laughing, yes. I think. I, th I don't think we we, <laughs> <laughs> we actually stopped laughing since he's up uh, up there. But um, yeah, we, we saw it today. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the news already, but he was giving a speech. Um, actually, one year ago, he gave a speech about how we weren't cooperating, the, the UN. And, uh -huh. and today he had a speech. And first thing he said is that he achieved more in one year than every president did uh, since the history uh, of America. And everyone started laughing, apparently. So that was today. I think I like, we're still laughing. Uh, so. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I'm going to later on tonight when, uh, when my youngest daughter goes to bed. I had a friend of mine call me early and tell me. But yeah, it's one of those things when you live in the United States now, if you're you know somebody uh, like me who's not a fan of him, You wake up every morning and you don't know if you should laugh or cry. So, I mean, some of the things he say at, says are so ludicrous. It makes you want to laugh. But it's very sad, really, to see that he has risen to, you know, to the highest office in, in our country here. And I am still in shock. I still can't believe that that actually happened. Yeah, but, but and definitely I, I can think um, of as an actor as an actress yeah um you you i think you you must have been convinced that it's been staged you know because you're like this is not something that could happen in real life is it candid camera is it is he acting this good or i gotta say there was a, a period of time when i was wondering and i thought is he just doing this as a massive practical joke because surely he can't be he can't be Um, unfortunately, now we know he was serious. And the idea that, you know, almost half the population of the United States of the people who came out to vote, most, almost half of them actually voted for him. And that just blows my mind. I can't believe it. But, you know, that's what we're living with now. Yeah, it's... Uh... But I don't know if you've seen how few Americans actually go and vote. It's amazing. It's a very low percentage. So, yeah, so, so you just convinced the ones... Everybody uh... will right yeah because well, i'm he, hoping he, more people will go out and vote next time yeah let, let's hope so too here in belgium we, we have to vote it's obligated so um, we don't have a choice <laughs> right well that makes sense you know you should participate in you know in the future in the political system of your country because everything that happens directly will affect you for instance you know the taxes you're paying and healthcare that you may or may not be receiving all of those issues so it, it just really surprises me when people tell me that they didn't bother moving 
Because if you don't vote, that's the same as going and voting for the person you want the least. I, I was not happy with the candidate this time, and I still went and voted because there was one I disliked significantly more than the other. So you got to participate. Yeah, and Otherwise I think you can't I think complain about what you get. We will see a mass participation next time because everyone would be uh, not another four years with this guy. <laughs> oh my goodness! I hope not. Right? I'll cross my fingers But for all, all you guys. <laughs> I, I'm going to cross my fingers too. Yeah, I yeah, think all of Europe uh, will be. It's been a bad shock. <laughs> now, um, of course, um, you've, you've been living there for, for quite some time now in the States. Um, yeah. Do you still follow like the Danish film scene? or? I do, and especially when I go back uh when i go back to europe i uh, i go to denmark every summer with my children and uh, that's a big event that we look forward to every year we go back and spend time with the family and it's very important to me that they get to hold on to that part of their heritage as well and that they get to understand you know the danish and overall european culture Mm -hmm. so that they understand where they come from and they have a close relationship to the family members out there. And, and do they have it easy to adapt? Because you've you've grown up in, in, in Denmark, so you know what's life like. Um, but yeah, they grew up in the States. So is, is it a big culture shock for them or are they used to it by now? They're used to it by now because, like I said, we pretty much go every summer. Mm -hmm. So it's something that they look forward to all year long is getting, you know, getting there in the summer. I would like to take them there more frequently, but because it's such a long trip, it has to be at a time when they have, uh, where they're able to go for three weeks or more. And that really only happens during the summer vacation. But they love it. They love going out there and they love the freedom that they have when they're there. Um, they're able to do a lot more. It, uh, I don't know, it seems safer for sure. And they have more autonomy when they're out there. And they like to go out there and meet with their friends that they don't see throughout the year. And it's just a, a big event for all of us. So they actually turn into little adults. Yes. <laughs> well, my oldest daughter is 16 years old now. And so when she's in Europe... Um, especially she, you know, she gets to, uh, she gets to, to be treated, um, much more like an adult rather than a child. But mm -hmm. when she's in Denmark, but the funny thing is since, mm -hmm. uh, since you get a driver's license much more, um, uh, at a much younger age here, she's actually, she just got her driver's license a few months ago. And so now here she's driving and that definitely, uh, that's definitely been a positive. She's excited about that. So I did tell her when she goes to Europe again next summer, she will not be able to drive while we're there. She has to wait until she's 18. Um, so so I, I didn't know that. that So the driver's license from the state doesn't count in Denmark? I, I didn't even yeah, realize it, that. Yeah, it should. <laughs> but, well, no, but the thing is, in, in, in America, you can drive already at 16. Mm -hmm. So when you come to Denmark, you can't drive at 16. So they should count her driver's license as she gets a little older, but it's kind of like the same way as how in America you can't drink alcohol till you're 21. Oh, yeah. So even yeah. if you come and you visit from Europe, even if you're 18 and old enough in Europe, you still can't do it in, in America until you're 21. Yeah, that sounds logic. <laughs> I, yeah. I, asked my, I asked my first blunt question. <laughs> 
No, no, no. It is not a dumb question. Trust me. <laughs> um, I probably asked all those same questions. I just know because I've lived here for a while now. Yeah, but that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, yes, it is. Do you still remember the very first movie, the very first film you ever bought with your own money? That I ever bought with my own money? Yeah. Uh, yes, I do actually remember because I bought three at the same time. Okay. Um, and the three, one of them was the Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was one. Okay. The other one was a movie called The Doors. Okay. About the band The Doors. Yeah. And the third one was Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, those three are about as different from one another as can be, but but I uh, that was the first movie purchase I ever made. Yeah, that's um like you said it's quite variety and and um what what age were you at that time? If I may ask. Oh my goodness. How old <laughs> was I? I'm trying to remember. I was still living in Denmark. I moved here. Uh let's see. I'm guessing I might have been 15, I think. I'm not entirely sure, but I think I was probably about 15 years old. Now, um, I'm also very curious um, about how you actually ended up in stunting in films because you did some stunt work and yeah, that's quite curious. That's how you... Yes. Well, I ended up um, working on a TV series and I ended up being a stand-in for, uh, for a particular woman mm -hmm. and that I looked a lot like. And she needed a stunt double for a job that was, uh, it was certainly had an element of danger with this right, stunt job, but the person who had to uh, be her stunt double did not have to do anything. It was uh, being a passenger in a car that was in a car chase. And because of that, they were able to hire somebody who did not have a uh, lot of experience in that department. Mm -hmm. And I was already working on the set with them, and they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, yes. Um, later on, uh, several months later, that very same stunt coordinator contacted me and said that he had another job that was a little bit bigger. And again, somebody who looked like me, had you know, same height, same weight, stuff like that, mm -hmm. and asked if I wanted to, uh, to work on that as well, which, of course, I wanted to do. And then after that, um, he and some of the other stunt people started inviting me when they would go out and do training at the park and places like that. And so I started training with them. And to begin with, it was just really small stuff I would do. But, it, uh, you know, I started learning some of, uh, some of the, the things that I needed in the business. And I started getting more little jobs. And to begin with, they were very small, very simple things. And then over the years... Uh, they grew, and the biggest job I ended up doing was uh, I worked as a female stunt double for um, Moon Bloodgood, who was a female lead on the movie Terminator Salvation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's quite an, 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 let's say, a strange way getting into the film. Um, right. It's, it's like uh, kind of using the back door, and then, then, yeah, you were set to become the actress you are now. Well, I had started before that happened. I uh, I would go out and I would audition for smaller film projects, mm -hmm. uh, student films, independent films. And so I worked on 
on some of those. And then uh, later on, as I started doing stunts, I would spend a lot of that money on, uh, I'd spend a lot of that money on taking acting classes and auditioning classes and things like that. And also, of course, on more stunt gear. But little by little, my, my resume started growing and I started being able to go in and audition for, you know, bigger and better parts. And that's led me to where I am today. And what was your biggest challenge growing into the actress you are now? My biggest challenge? Well, certainly on the uh, Netflix series, Godless, mm -hmm. I, uh, that, I, uh, that, that has come out here not terribly long ago. Well, I guess it was actually last year, but it just, uh, uh, it just uh, won three Emmys here. What was that, a week ago or so? Yeah, and uh, uh, on that one, I I had um, one particular scene that I had with Jeff Daniels that was uh, that was emotionally uh, very difficult and very draining uh, to do. Luckily, Jeff is such an amazing actor and just such a nice guy to work with that you know that it calmed my nerves some about what I ended up having to do it. But it was a very very intense scene. Yeah, it talk... uh, included a. Go ahead. No, I, I was just saying that. Yeah, talking about uh, the Emmys because there were a lot of uh, nominations, of course, for for Godless, um, and eventually yes. there's also Jeff Daniels that won one of the Emmys. Um, He so, did. Yeah, you, you you were playing with him, and and um, what was what was your first reaction uh, when you heard that that Jeff would won the Emmy? I was uh, I was very happy. Um, I was not at all surprised because I completely anticipated uh, that he would win. Um, even before I knew about any nominations, the very day that we were shooting um, a scene together and uh, I got to work with him and, uh, and of course, see him acting, I, I thought right then, I thought he's going to be nominated for this and he's going to win. And uh, after it came out on Netflix, approximately a year later and I watched his performance I was even more convinced that and, and uh, what that would you would say what was convinced uh, convinced the crowd for, for the Emmys would you say it's his acting or his, his charisma or, or just the natural look he, he gets on, on the screen or I think he is such an incredibly incredibly versatile actor I think there is no type of character that he can't portray. I mean, you've seen him in uh, movies like, like Dumb and Dumber, right? Which mm -hmm. is about as different from the character that he was playing in this. He does a, a lot of theater work and he's just incredibly talented. And when he goes into that character, it's just, he's so convincing and so, so, um, He, he's so in that scene where it's hard to imagine him as, as Jeff Daniels. All you see is the character that he's portraying. He is just incredibly talented. And because of that, he is uh, very easy to, uh, to act with. Because as long as you just, you know, you just go along with him, you know, you, you know it's going to work. You know it's going to be good. Now, And he's kind which also makes the experience uh, much more much more pleasant. Mm -hmm. Now, um, of course, um, you've been working on the Netflix series. Um, 
and, and I don't know if if it was a big um, let's say news in in the states, but um, here in Europe, um, when there was Cannes Film Festival in France, um, there was actually a ban on on everything Netflix related to be part of the competition. Um, so so here in in. For, uh, it's for Cannes and there are s several other film festivals um, that are like reacting to uh, how Netflix because actually Netflix um, is like the disruptive version of, of Hollywood um, because they have mm -hmm. a lot of data from their users that are watching and um, if you look at for example House of Cards uh, by Netflix um, House of Cards actually created with all the data from their viewers So they knew that what kind of genre of series, what, what the favorite actors would be. So they kind of had a predictive model on, on what people would like. And so here in Europe, wow. um, there's actually like, um, let's say, a, a controversy for everything Netflix related just because of that. Yeah. And that's why there was, for example, the ban uh, from the Cannes Film Festival for everything Netflix related. So... Um, I don't oh know if it, if it lives that much in the States or... or... No, I, I, was I was not at all aware of it. Yeah, it's... it's... But working, working for... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I was not aware of that. Um, working on this particular project and with these, this director and this cast and crew has just... It's, I always love being on set. Um, and obviously enjoy working as an actress very much for this particular one i gotta say it was was one of the best film experiences i've ever had mm -hmm. yeah it's it's like but like no i, said, I, I was um, not aware of that i'm gonna definitely look that up later yeah it's it's like i said it's just um for, for me it's just you know the world changes there are a lot of new things coming in like for example uber uh you have the, the war from uber against taxis and and um i think this is just yeah it's innovation in in film and series provided by netflix right and then the the more let's say yeah um more historical hollywood that just doesn't cope with the change and and um even film festivals you know they um i think it's a shame that they ban out yeah series and films from netflix Just because, right. yeah, it's it's there's still hardworking people in in series and films from Netflix, so it's like punishing everyone that that's been a part of it. Right. Now, see, and I I actually prefer um, I prefer Netflix and uh, to a lot of the stations that I used to watch, and I still do. But I really like the idea that I can watch. Is say any given series that comes out on Netflix rather than having to watch it say Sunday at 6 p.m. every week when I may or may not be available. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that I can go in and watch any series that I want on my own schedule and that all of them at the same time because some of these projects like, uh, like for instance Godless I felt as if it was something that I did not want to watch just one episode at a time. I felt mm -hmm. like it was going to be disruptive. And it was something that I watched, you know, over probably a period of two days. Where I split it up and watched, you know, the first few episodes one day and, and the rest, um, you know, shortly thereafter. 
I just think for me as a viewer, that is something that's such a huge improvement compared to what we had to, what we used to have to do. Yeah. So I like it much uh, better. Yeah, I, I love it too. Um, the number of series I've, I've binge watched, uh, I, I can't even count them on, on my own two hands, you know, because um, right. that's just the pleasure of, of, of innovation in, in series and innovation in films and, and in the providers of those films and series is that they think with, yeah, the generations of today. Nowadays, waiting yeah. a week to get the new episode, who, who does that, you know? If you, if you're <laughs> not me, unless I have to, yeah. <laughs> and especially because every series has its cliffhanger at the end, you know. So you're like, oh my exactly. god, am I going to wait one week to get the response? No, I just go online and I search the next episode. So that's yeah, it's a changing world, and and I think everyone should change with it. I I have to say I agree with that. And then you mentioned one of my other favorite series, which is House of Cards. And I've definitely done the, you know, the same thing. And then also, I have kids, right? And it's mm -hmm. not always uh, some of the series that I enjoy watching, like House of Cards and and, uh, and like Godless, they're not kid-friendly. And there might be limited times. Like, for instance, during the day when my kids are in school, that's when I can watch stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I can't watch it in the evening because they're at home and I want to spend time with them and I'm certainly not going to put on something that's not appropriate, you know, for them to watch and have that going on during that time. So I love that, you know, I can take them to school and then I can sit down with my morning coffee and catch up on a couple of episodes before I get my day going. So I am all about it. <laughs> Now, of course, um, there was a little birdie that told me um, you also do comedy improvisation. Uh, yes. <laughs> that is actually uh, that's actually a, a fairly new thing. I started studying uh, comedy improv at Upright Citizens Brigade in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and uh, it was something I decided to do because when you ask me about things that were scary to do, well, the scene that I had with uh, with Jeff Daniels, especially in Godless, of course, was extremely intense and and uh, culminated in in me uh, going after him, butt naked with a gun and trying to <laughs> kill him as he, uh, as he heads toward my family. And that was certainly uh, something that was out of my comfort zone. But really, once once the scene started, I forgot everything about it and, and, you know, about being me. And I stepped into character and that point, it no longer bothered me. But after... Uh, having completed that scene and after having seen it when it was released a year later, I thought to myself, oh, I thought, okay, there's something that I didn't think I would have been comfortable doing and now it, it doesn't bother me. And I asked myself, what, what would scare me now? What is something that would make me uncomfortable, something that would scare me? And I thought, oh, comedy comedy improvising especially where I don't get you know to practice or rehearse a script and so it just seemed the the next logical conclusion uh, that I should sign up for that because I mm -hmm. think whenever something frightens you I mean within reason if, if alligators frighten you don't go swim with them that's not what I'm saying but anything that's safe that makes you a little nervous that you feel is is outside of you know of your expertise or, or your, your outside zone. of your comfort zone Right. I thought to myself, all right, since this is what scares me, probably 
uh, is probably what I should be doing. And so I signed up initially just for for one section of eight classes uh, plus a performance, and I did that. And when I was done, I signed up for the next one, and again <laughs> the next one, and and now I'm just deep in it, and I absolutely love it. And it still frightens me a bit uh, going up on stage and and performing uh, something that I can't prepare for. But uh, but I really, really enjoy it. And I think it's something that all actors and perhaps just people in general should do. I think it definitely teaches you some skills that uh, that you won't otherwise have the opportunity to get. Well, I, I always thought that, so, um, you know, when, when you're performing like that and when, when you're nervous, um, that you have to imagine that the crowd is naked. But apparently you were already <laughs> naked uh, with Jeff Daniels. So you did the, the opposite of it and it worked just fine too. Right. So <laughs> it worked just fine too. Right. Yeah. No, I didn't have to imagine that. I, uh, I just uh, really, you know, had to focus on my character and the things that my character had been exposed to. And that then made it an easy choice. And, and Because you said you also, um, so there are classes and then at the end of the classes you have to perform. So in front That of a live correct. audience. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. So every time you finish uh, an, an eight week class, mm -hmm. you then end up having to uh, perform it in front of an audience. And, and so then you really you get able, to go and be scared. Yeah. Were you able to, to make the crowd laugh or were you... Quite scared or, I, uh, or anxious? Definitely unfortunate. No, you know, when you go out on stage, the uh, the light in front of you is pretty bright, mm -hmm. which is nice because it prevents <laughs> you really from being able to see the people in the audience. And so uh, one of the things that you have to do in improv and any kind of acting, but especially in improv, is you really, really, really need to listen to the person you are acting with, Right. Mm -hmm. Especially with improv, because you don't know what the next words or the next lines are going to be. So if you're not paying attention to them, then you're not going to be able to do well in the scene. So I think the key to uh, to get over the nervousness is just focus on your partner. <laughs> yeah, so you can focus on Jeff Daniels while you're running after him, for example. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that way, you know, on that way, I had a specific dialogue going on in my head. You know, he's heading in toward uh, uh, my family in the scene, right? Yeah. And at that point, I think any mother would agree that if you see a person heading toward your family and you suspect that they are going to do your family harm of the worst kind, if you have a moment to grab a gun, you're not going to worry about getting dressed first. You're going to go for the gun. You're going to try and protect your family the best you can. So once you are in character for that, I think uh, for me, definitely, the moment I fired the first shot, um, I forgot all about the fact that I was naked. It was it was no longer an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's the, the strength of, of an actor and an actress um, is that you can really live the part. Um, and I can imagine that, that, yeah, like the scene you described, um, having kids of your own, you can really pretend the feeling you must have when someone's just heading for your kids so i think that's, that's exactly uh, that's the strength of, of of being an actor i agree with you 
Now, you know, um, you take experiences from your real real life, and and sometimes you replace the character mm-hmm. that uh, you know that is your antagonist, and think about uh, something similar, or you know, um, somebody in your mind that maybe represents that person when you're rehearsing it before you go on up to shoot, and you know that brings about certain types of emotions. You don't have to pretend to feel anything because you're really feeling it. And by the time you go on set and you work with a talented and experienced actor such as Jeff Daniels, it just all kind of falls into place. It's it's easy at that point, I think, to step into the character and, and just embody that. Now, are there any projects you're currently working on? So besides the comedy improv, but um, acting or, or producing? or I am working uh, with a friend of mine, uh, Dodie Montgomery, and she and I are in the process of, uh, of creating our own material, mm-hmm. which we are both going to be writing and acting in. Okay, that's fun. But that's going to be a, a while before that's, uh, before that's ready to shoot. We're still in uh, sort of in the beginning stages. So, so we're in the inspiration stage. Yes. Well, we started writing, um, but uh, we weren't really sure at first whether or not we wanted to turn it into something episodic or or more of a, a film. And we have enough down now where I think it's starting to look as if it's going to be a longer project. But but it's always also fun to do because it's something of your own. It's it's uh, like a, a child of your own. You know, it's like uh... exactly. Now, name three things you can't live without. Um, <laughs> my children. <laughs> and my dogs. And oh my goodness, the third one. That's, uh, well, of course, I want to say my other friends and family. But that would probably be a boring answer. <laughs> um, Netflix. <gosh. laughs> Netflix, there you go. <laughs> Warm weather, the sun. I, I moved to New Mexico and I go back and forth between here and Los Angeles all the time. I, I really can't imagine living in a place without lots and lots of sunshine days. I've been uh, become acclimated to, you know, to to the weather in the south, and you'll mm-hmm. know that from Belgium, right? In yeah, Denmark. We have a, a lot of dark, rainy days, and I enjoy those, but um, you know, only a few at a time. Well, this summer for us was quite exceptional. I think um, we had, on average, between 25-30 degrees Celsius here. So um, Wow. But that's, that's really exceptional because we had the driest summer since uh, ever, since they started measuring. So, yeah, um, yeah that's global warming. <laughs> yes, it is. That's, yeah, and the same goes from Denmark. I remember we were home visiting during and it was unusually hot while we're there yeah there are even uh, f- uh, forest fires in the north of sweden so that's yeah that's unbelievable yeah now if perhaps the last question before i let you go off into the wide world and enjoy binge watching on netflix um <laughs> if the whole world was listening right now what would you say if the whole world was listening right now yeah Be good to each other. <laughs> just be good to each other. Every day it could just be so much more pleasant if people would just treat each other a little nicer. 
Now, of course, uh, thanks for making the time for the interview. Um, I, I love the chat. I love the talk. Um, I love binge watching Netflix together. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And, uh, and thank you so much. And yeah, and thank you for accommodating you. I'll tell you now the the reason I ended up needing a, a later slot. And I so appreciate you guys accommodating me. Is uh, I had to take my dog to the vet, and oh. it looks like she's gonna be okay. But I had to take her down there earlier today. Um, she was uh, limping and looked like she uh, was not feeling too good. And they're uh, testing her right now, and it seems like she has a little bit of arthritis, but. I got concerned and uh, I wanted to make sure she was okay. So, thank you for that. Well, we went to the vet yesterday with our dog. So, yeah. Oh, really? It's, yeah, it's the time of the year, I think. Uh, she, she's yeah. she's actually a street dog um, who was abandoned um, under a bridge. And so, the asylum oh. found her. Um, they don't know how long she's been there. Um, we have her for one year and a half now, and she's already uh, 11. So they abandoned her at about the age of nine uh, under a bridge. Wow. And yeah, because she lived outside, uh, she has now very weak lungs. And so from the yeah. moment temperature drops, um, she gets a really, really nasty cold. Um, even uh, lung... Uh, uh, how do you it? How do you call it? Pneumonia? Uh, pneumo pneumonia. Pneumonia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she's close Poor to thing. pneumonia again. So, like it last Well, year. thank you for adopting her. I'm really glad to hear that. I, I have uh, uh, three dogs of my own that I've adopted. So, that's uh, that's very heartwarming to hear that you guys took her in. Yeah, but um, sure she, she's, she's happy. Uh, uh, that's the one thing I don't understand is, is um, why they left her because she's like the. Yeah, how do you say it? The nicest dog you can ever imagine. She doesn't bite. She doesn't make any sound. She just lays there and she's happy when you come home and she sleeps when you're not at home. She doesn't do anything wrong. So it's, yeah, it's strange how people can, yeah, act like that to a dog. So if, if anyone would treat the dog uh, not the correct way, I'm sure he wouldn't retreat humans the correct way. So, Right. No, I completely agree with you. And I just think there's just, for me, no better animal in the world. Dogs are just so full of love and they're so loyal. And, you know, they're just so happy to see you. So I, I absolutely love dogs. I've, I've had dogs most of my life and anticipate I'll continue. And I have a couple of my dogs, about 12 and one is 13. So, and my 13-year-old, I just got about a year and a half ago, uh, Dear friend of mine passed away unexpectedly, and mm -hmm. the family wasn't sure what to do with the dog. They didn't have the ability to keep her, and I just couldn't stand the idea that, you know, that they were going to have to get rid of her. Yeah, that's... Uh... Especially as my, my friend had a daughter uh, my age, and I just thought the idea that she was going to lose the dog on top of having just lost her dad. So, yeah, so I, I ended up adopting her, and she's just... He's just so sweet. He's such a good dog. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's the. I think um, it. it uh, there's a saying that says um, uh, a dog, a dog doesn't um, isn't there your whole life, um, but to to them you're their. Um, yeah. 
yeah, there's an expression, but I, <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up one day. Uh, um, the dog doesn't mean the world, but you mean the world to them. Something like that. Um, right. That so, makes sense. You know, you get them from their little oftentimes, and then they spend their entire lives with you. So, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, on that note, of course, uh, the best for the dog. Um, I, I hope uh, it all goes well and, and, and she may live uh, up to 30, 40 years old, perhaps. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have a nice day. Yeah. And until next time, then. All right. You too. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.